We declare your word as truth. We confess our desire to hear from the spirit of the living God right now. Only your words. Only your truth. Only your direction. That would focus our eyes where we're to be looking right now. That would tune our ears only to what we should be hearing right now. We pray for, as the prophet prayed, for your word to come like a fire and like a hammer. What compares to your word? Nothing compares to your word. And we pray for it to come with power and clarity. We pray to be shaken where we need to be shaken. Awaken where we need to be awakened. Corrected where we need to be corrected. Encouraged where we need to be encouraged. We ask for a divine teaching, a divine revelation, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge, in your wisdom for these times, for this gathering, Lord. We pray for something we can act on to bring you glory, to accomplish your purposes. So sanctify us by your word. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the... Um, um, I recognize, by the way, that the last three weeks have been a lot. A lot of theology, a lot of teaching, a lot of talking. Um, and I feel like it's been a lot, but it's been an important foundation to build. Specifically, as we looked at the first and second covenant and contrasted the first and second covenant, I hope that one of the revelations that you've taken away, uh, that I've taken away, is a revelation of God's heart. And absolutely, I recognize that that is a spirit-given revelation, that it's only by God's spirit that his heart can be revealed to us. And what a big thing it even is to say we have some awareness of God's heart. But when, but when that clarity is given by God's spirit, when his heart is, even if it's just a glimpse we're given, it clarifies so many things. And it protects us fundamentally against so many deceptions and so much of the nonsense that's taught. And if I can summarize what I feel like the last three weeks have shown me, it's that God wants a people after his own heart. He just wants us set apart, holy, separated unto him, group of families that love him and that trust him and who very pur purposefully and very intentionally seek 
to know his wisdom and his understanding, to, to know the, the truth that he has revealed to us, specifically by his commandments, his perfect understanding on what it means to be human, his perfect understanding on what it means to be married, his perfect understanding on what it means to raise kids, his perfect calendar, his perfect diet, divine, flawless, perfect wisdom on every area of life. He just desires a group of people that will let him be God and seek to align with all of that wisdom, the gift that it is, all of that truth, the blessing and protection that it is to align our whole life with what he's given us, to share in his heart, to share in his wisdom, to share in his will and desires. Beautiful. To have the God of the Bible be the center of every part of our life. That's at least part of what God wants. And when we play our part in that equation, the Bible calls us witnesses. Because what God wants to do with that special people that's set apart, holy unto him people, what God wants to do with that group is he wants to put them on display. Because when he puts them on display, he puts himself on display. And all of a sudden, the invisible creator God becomes visible in the whole earth as his people become these impossible testimonies. Impossible by what? Falling on the floor and flopping around like a fish? Impossible by giving a bunch of false prophecy? Impossible by all the other nonsense? No, impossible by the love that they have and share and show. The peace that they experience in the midst of the nonsense, the hope that they don't fake they actually have, their bulletproof marriages, they're incredible kids. That's the impossible thing God wants to show. And countless other impossible fruit. God takes this special, set apart, holy unto himself people group. He puts their lives on display and he shows all the world how he makes a difference. How he shows a difference. Hallelujah. That's what God wants. The witness peace, it really only comes when you've been given that glimpse of God's heart. 
and it's kind of coming full circle to me today to, to recognize that being a witness is bigger than just obedience. It's bigger than just keeping God's commandments. Being a witness is actually literally sharing in his same heart, sharing in his same spirit, and even sharing in his nature. Sharing in the divine nature. Wow. So let's go back to Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. what Peter here says about this divine nature. I pray one more time, Father, that the, that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given right now to your saints at NCC that we would be given ears to hear and eyes to see what it means to partake in the divine nature. We confess easily that this is beyond us. Not even the partaking piece. I'm talking about the understanding piece. It's beyond us. We need you and we need your spirit to guide us and lead us into this truth. So we pray for clarity. We pray for truth. We pray for understanding. In Jesus' name. So Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Now there are aspects to those four, those four verses in this passage that hopefully all the work we've done over the last three weeks help us to grasp. Specifically, that it is his divine power that gives us all things necessary for living a godly life. That it is, a, it is a gift from him that is something that he gives us divinely that allows us to live a godly life. Specifically, he says that we, are, that we are given exceedingly great and precious promises, and it's through those promises that we are partakers of a divine nature. So, the last three weeks we've contrasted the first covenant and the second covenant. We've spoken specifically um, as it relates to the second covenant um, that Jesus says you must be born again to be a partaker of the second covenant you must be born again. And hopefully one of the 
truths that our work studying the two covenants has revealed is the centrality of this nature to the reason the second covenant was necessary. The nature that I'm talking about is our original human nature, our carnal nature, our fallen nature, versus uh, a new nature that becomes available to us. The first covenant, a massive uh, reason that that example was given to us, a huge, hopefully, takeaway that we all now see clearly and, and recognize and will never again forget is that the old nature is opposed to God. The old nature is contrary to God. The old nature is at war with God. The old nature cannot love God. The old nature cannot submit to God. The old nature cannot worship God. The old nature cannot trust God. The old nature cannot hear God. The old nature cannot understand God, nor will it ever submit to God. What nature am I talking about? The nature every single human being was, that was born of the flesh was born with. That nature cannot give God what God wanted. What does God want? Everything we just talked about. The old nature cannot give that to God. And as we look at the, the, the children of God in the Old Testament, the Hebrews being given a revelation of God's heart and a crystal clear invitation, the same invitation that you and I have to be his holy set apart people, his nation of priests and kings, the light to the world, the city on the, on the hill, the ones in whom he can show he makes a difference. Right As they were given that invitation in their human nature, what we should see and never, uh, uh, never again uh, forget is that they literally could not do it. They had a nature problem. Their nature was the problem. Was God's law the problem? Absolutely not. Was God's heart the problem? Absolutely not. Was what God desired the problem? Absolutely not. No part of God's side of this equation was the problem. God is showing us right now. He's, he's bringing our focus on two natures. The carnal nature, the entire Old Testament is given to show us cannot give God what God wants. He never, ever, 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 ever wants a, a, a nature that is at war with him to just be forced to love him, to just be forced to obey him, to be drug along, miserable. That's never been the purpose. That's never been the point. So when, when the author of Hebrews says that a second covenant was necessary, then it is a more excellent covenant built on better promises. Here's the whole focus, saints. The second covenant is to offer a better nature, a new nature, a different nature. And the promises that God offers in that covenant are entirely given so that we can be partakers in that nature. Everyone getting this? The difference in the covenants is all about the nature. 
The nature of who? Us, not God. God's nature, God's nature is perfect. It never changes. His, part is, his heart is perfect. It's never changed. His ways are perfect. That's never changed. His desire is perfect. That's never changed. It was the fallen nature that needed to be dealt with. When Jesus says you must be born again, and as we look at how that idea is unpacked throughout the New Testament, it's worded a number of different ways. Jesus, of course, as we, as we studied in, in John 3, says you've got to be reborn. You've got to be born a second time. You were already born of the flesh. Now you've got to be born of the spirit. Right? Other New Testament writers describe it as being joined to Christ, clothed in Christ, one with Christ, buried and resurrected with Christ. It's referred to as being adopted. It's referred to as, as being saved. And what the Bible teaches is that as we embrace the protocol to be born again, what emerges is something totally supernatural. What emerges is something entirely divinely given, impossible, miraculous. Second Corinthians 5 says, literally, the old is gone and a brand new creation is made. Amazing. It's just amazing to recognize what God's done. And the new creation that we become, another, another reference is, 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 is that it's an adoption. It's, a, it's an adoption into a new humanity. It's an adoption into a divine humanity, right? Jesus being the first from amongst the dead. Right, the atom of a brand new creation, a brand new humanity. And this new humanity, the, the, the foundation of the, of the promises of the new covenant and the inheritance given to those who are adopted, as Jeremiah and Ezekiel both prophesied, prophesied is what? A new heart, complete with the laws of God written on it, and a new spirit, his very spirit given to move us to give God what God's always wanted. So if we go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, let me read this one more time. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us, called us, by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. What's promised to us? A new heart and a new spirit. That through these, through what? The things that have been promised. What have been promised? A new heart and a new spirit. Who have those been promised to? Anyone who have been authentically born again, born of the spirit. Adopted. Adopted into what? The family business. The, or the, master's, the master's family. 
the new humanity. Bless you. To those, precious promises are given. And it's through those promises that we may be partakers of a what? A divine nature. A divine nature. You see why you got to be born again? This is entirely the work of God. How capable of you are you, saints, of changing your nature? Right? Isn't that a beautiful way to think about it? How capable are you of changing your nature? Absolutely impossible. It's only by his divine power. I'm so grateful. To all of us who have been born again, adopted, we've been given two promises that make walking in a brand new nature available to us. We've been given a new heart, complete with his laws written on it, and we've been given a new spirit, given to move us into alignment with him. He's literally given us, listen to me, saints, how do you get a new nature? You got to have a new heart and you got to have a new spirit, apparently. And how incredible that God would give us his heart and his spirit. And why would he do that? Because he found a way to get what he's always wanted. And what is he's always wanted? A people after his own nature. A people after his own heart. Amazing. So, so we read in Second in Peter that, that we can be partakers in this divine nature. But one of the things that we concluded with last week is that the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that even though if we are authentically born again, this divine nature is available to us, that we can still not walk in it. Right? That it's, that it's absolutely not an automatic thing to walk in. Even when we have a heart of flesh, and even when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, it is possible to not walk in that divine nature. Does that make sense? It's not automatic. We don't get up every morning and walk in the divine nature, apparently. And most of us can testify to that reality. Right? And we even mentioned last week that it's, it's the, the pain of that struggle, right? the pain that sin brings, the remorse that sin brings, the ongoing need for repentance, that that is a part of the journey and actually perhaps one of the only real trustworthy fruits that you are authentically born again is to have that struggle of journey, that struggle between the natures, right? It's Paul in, in, Romans, in Romans 7 saying, that which I want to do, 
I do not. And the evil that I don't want to do, that I practice. Right? So if Paul walked in that struggle, if, if there's constant ongoing teaching in the New Testament about putting off the old man, about putting off the flesh, about putting off the old nature, about laying aside your old ways, constant encouragement along. We have to know, not just by our experience, but even more so by what's written, the struggle between those natures is real. Walking in, in the divine nature is not automatic. It'll never be automatic. So be encouraged if you find yourself in the, in the midst of that struggle. You're in good company. But then we also read last week texts that talk about what it will look like when we do walk in that divine nature. And, and one of them in particular, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. This is God's word. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Whoever is born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. That's a very exciting text. Especially as the divine nature in us grows that will naturally bring about in us a hatred for sin, a disgust for sin. Does God hate sin? Absolutely. The Bible says that God hates sin and sinners. Shocking, but that's what the word says. So the more that we take on God's heart and are moved by his spirit and partake in his nature, we're also going to hate sin. So does a verse that says, he who is of God does not sin. Is that an exciting text? Heck yeah. That's an amazing text. I am compelled to know what that means. Jackson, you can be sinless, that text says. Kara's like, really? What about Jesus in Matthew 5 and that teaching on loving your enemies? How does he conclude that text? You guys remember? Do this and you will be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I want that. I want to know what that means. I want to walk in that experience. And one of the things that the, that the Lord is showing me is that when Jesus says you will be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, one of the, way, one of the reasons I think I've almost kind of rejected a text like that is because you, could, you can mishear Jesus into saying that we can somehow be equal with God, and he is not saying that at all. I believe he is saying that in that moment of being spirit-led because it's inside of us, of aligning with the laws of God because it's, because it's written on our heart, of partaking in his divine nature in that moment when we actually have the capacity to love someone that is an enemy of us with absolutely no flesh, no selfish agenda, no, no twisted purpose behind it, that we are in perfect alignment with the Father in that moment. Wow. That's just so awesome. And I have 
I have this like understanding now that this divine nature, that when we walk in it, even if it is for moments, momentary times, we won't sin. We can't sin. When we are fully submitted to the spirit of God inside of us, and, he, and that spirit is aligning us to keep the commandments that are written on our hearts, we can't sin in that moment. Can't. The divine nature will never sin. The divine nature will never have a twisted agenda. It'll never be selfish. It'll never be prideful. It'll never be greedy. It will always only align with the Father's purposes. And so, holy cow, God found a way. God found a way to get what he always wanted. God find a, found a way to have what he's always desired. A people after his own heart who aren't following miserably trying to subdue the flesh to do what the flesh could never do. He found a way to make a whole new nature available to us. Absolutely breathtaking. So if that nature is available but not automatic, if there's an ongoing struggle times when we're just going to do what we don't want to do. Act how we don't want to act. But other times when we literally can't sin, other times when we will be in such perfect alignment with the Father that it will be his very spirit flowing through us like Jesus getting touched from behind, someone getting healed and he didn't even know about it. That pure of a vessel, that pure of a... Of a offering to the Father that he just moves through us in that way? Should we expect and would we expect there to be teaching in the word on how to have those moments? What moments? Moments when we walk in his divine nature. Moments when we partake in this divine nature. Yep. We could expect that. And we should expect that. And it's not texts that just encourage us to try harder. It's not texts that just say you can do this because it's available. There is actual instruction, things to do, things to add that will help us partake in the divine nature like more often maybe or more frequently or for longer periods of time. There's other instructions on things to not do that will keep us from walking in the divine nature. So we want to study those things so that we can walk in the divine nature more, so that we can be perfectly aligned with the Father more, so that we can be better witnesses, better ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven, better members of new creation, better workers of the master's business, because the remnant needs to be working right now. The remnant is not to be hunkering down right now. The remnant is not to be looking for outs right now or living in fear right now. So we're gonna study these for as long as 
the spirit leads. We study these as instruction to be applied so that we more frequently walk in the divine nature. I can't think of a more incredible plan. All right, so the first one is what? Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Is this the only area in the New Testament that talks about the divine nature? Not at all. There are multiples. Each of them have instruction. We're going to look at every one of them. This is just the one we're starting with. I think this one is, I believe this is the one, the one the Spirit is having us start with because of the next five, is it five verses? Five verses or so, six verses, um, give us just a perfect, uh, just a, a real perfect roadmap. Handles to, to begin to get our mind around a concept and an invitation as radical as walking in a new nature. This is way bigger than Sunday school encouragement. This is big stuff. And it's interesting because the Lord is having me give no answers, but only um, show us where to start looking. Feels like it's going to continue to have each of us be mining these truths on our own and meditating on these truths in our own, in our own time. We had three weeks of theology and I know they were long, and it was a lot of teaching. Now it's, now it's training with the foundation in place. If you are born again, it's because God wants you walking in a divine nature. And there are things that we can do to do it more. So let's read what Peter says here. Verses 5 through 11. Someone want to read that for us? Lizzie? Thank you. I really like your translation. In view of all of this, make every effort... In view of all of what? The four incredibly important, deeply profound, highly theological sentences that Peter just spoke, which are what? You have been given exceedingly great promises and by those promises you have the ability to partake in a divine nature that's a profound few sentences he starts now by saying because of that now he's going to tell us some things to do go ahead Okay, so there's about six things there, or what was it, eight? I think someone counted last week. Eight, eight things. 
All right, let me, let me um, pa just pause you, Lizzie, for one second and um, show us that this list starts with what? Faith. faith. Okay, faith is not the first thing to add. My, my translation says, by the way, add. Add to faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge self-control. So there is, gonna, there is a list of things that we are to add. But the first one is what? Faith. Faith. And what is that word? What does that mean? Well, the Strong's word is, um, I got to be careful here. It's spelled P-I-S-T-I-S. -I -S. So you can sound that out on your own. It's number 3982, and it is conviction of a biblical truth, specifically reliance upon Christ for salvation. Okay? If you know the word of God, you recognize that this faith is not of us. Who's it from? Only. This, he's talking about the saving faith right, that we trust and know and believe that our salvation is in Christ. That faith is only given by God's spirit, only given by God's permission, and only given to those whom he has chosen. Amen. That faith is absolutely not of human origin, Amen. of human source. It cannot be learned. It cannot be bought. You cannot get it in seminary. You can't get it on this earth. Amen. It only comes from God. It is an absolute 100% gift, this faith, to trust Christ for salvation. This faith to believe the gospel. That is by God's choice, by God's permission, on God's timing, by God's spirit for whom God chooses. And if you are in this room and have been given that faith, you have every obligation to spend the rest of your life in absolute gratitude for being given that. And it is the very fuel to carry on the, the journey that we are on. Amen? That faith is not something that is added. We don't get to add that. That is given to us by God, and it is the foundation for anyone who is his. So I wrote here faith as the first list, believing God's promises or the gospel kind of in general, the reality of everything we've been talking about for the last three weeks, and specifically as it relates to God's promises, that if we are born again, we are a brand new creation, that if we are a new creation, that we've been given a new heart complete with his laws written on it, and we've been given a new spirit that moves us to keep those laws, and that the combination of those two things make having and walking in and partaking in his divine nature available to us. It is only an act of his spirit that we can believe those things. The Bible says that those things are foolishness to someone that's not been chosen. Foolishness. Ridiculousness. Cannot make sense, will not make sense, will never, ever, ever put that together. 
Believing the gospel is not about intelligence. It is not about a well-laid-out argument. It is not about a seminary or anything else. Is God, has God opened your eyes or hasn't he? Has God peeled the scales off your eyes or hasn't he? Has he opened your ears to his divine call or hasn't he? That is the only question. And if the answer is yes and he has given you that gift, then this faith becomes the foundation of walking in the divine nature. We've got to know these things. The things that we cannot know but by his spirit. The things that we cannot understand but by his spirit. The things that we can never, ever, ever believe except his spirit, the spirit of truth is inside of us and said, yep, God did it. He found a way to change your nature and to make his nature available to you. Beautiful. So to add to that, the first one, Lizzie. Mine says moral excellence. Excellence. Love that. Okay. Is moral excellence something that we add? Yes. Everything else in this list, we guess who's accountable for it? We are. Guess who doesn't get to sit around and hope this just happens? We. We. What? I can't forget. I forgot how I asked that question. (laughs) We don't get to do that, though. We don't get to pray for it, right? We don't get to wait for it. We don't get to hope for it. This is where we act. This is where we put on our big boy pants and our big girl pants and obey what's being told, okay? And the only reason you're going to do that, if you're authentically born again, is you have this foundational, underlying radical faith that a new nature is actually available to us and a desire to walk in that nature. Well, the first thing that we're instructed to add to that faith and that belief that all of this is real is living in moral excellence. Hallelujah. Okay, what's that mean? I asked you guys to look that up, do a little bit of research. What'd you find? Does you know good? Anyone have anything they want to share? Yep. Yep. Virtue is the the uh, other translation. Good. Say that one more time, nice and loud, Karen. Good. Is moral excellence going to? Well, let me let me um, let me say this. The the uh, Strong's word, the Strong's number is four four two three four. The Greek word is arten, a r e t e n. Here's some of the the definitions that. Um, that are tied to the word virtue. Uh, moral excellence, goodness of character, moral strength, and moral courage. This has a strong connection to manliness 
and or specifically being an excellent person in life. Virtue and moral excellence is really about being a real man or a real woman according to God's design. Okay, so what Kara said is moral excellence is ultimately going to be like mimicking Jesus by putting ourself aside, which is to say what? Putting our old nature aside, putting the old man aside, putting the old life aside, putting the old habits aside, putting the old appetites aside, putting the old idols aside, putting the old deceptions aside, anything that does not excellent by God's design and by God's definition gets put aside so that what comes he does right is Jesus manly according to the scriptures okay this is a super important thing guys we live in a time in which jackasses stand in front of the whole nation and pray and conclude the prayer a man and a woman. It, just absolute ridiculous. There is such a, so much confusion about what a real man and what a real woman is. It is attacked and smeared and blasphemed on every possible level right now. Right? So when I even stand in front of a congregation and say, virtue is about being a real man and being a real woman, that's a problem today. Because being a real man is up for anyone's uh, interpretation right now. Right? That's the nonsense we live in, where good is called bad and bad is called good and black is called white and white is called black. And, you know, we, it's all prophesied. It's all going to happen. It all has to happen. It all must happen. The great falling away must happen before the day of the Lord. So, so what a timely, incredible, timely uh, first thing to add in the, day, in the day and time that we find ourselves in, that to the faith that God gives, the first thing that we're to add is living right. Living right by what? And this is the, this is the heart to the only thing I'm going to share about this today, right? Virtue is, is, is connected to manliness, Manliness is living excellently as a man and living excellently as a woman. Moral excellence as a man, moral excellence as a woman. Moral goodness as a man, moral goodness as a woman. But by whose definition? Only. This is why Christ is the model. Perfect obedience to the perfect instruction by the perfect God on how to be human. You, you see why every jot and tittle from the law cannot pass until the end of this age? Right? Because we need instruction on how to be a man and how to be a woman. Lizzie, what were you going to say? I'm going to say that one thing I found was an antonym of virtue is vice. Mm. Yeah. Or a, a stronghold, a negative stronghold of that habit that makes virtue needing to be a Absolutely. Habit which well. is the which is the putting off piece. Yeah. So I just really like the idea of habit. Virtue has to be a habit. Yep. And vice is something that we 
Absolutely. Remember, remember last week when I wrote faith in big obnoxious letters? That was to remind us all that faith is not a matter of our will, not a matter of our effort, not something that we force, fake, can buy, can learn, can go to school for. That is an absolute gift from God. We can take no credit for it, absolutely no credit for it. It is outside of our control. To believe the gospel is outside of us. It is a gift to believe the gospel. It is a gift to believe the promises associated with the gospel. The invisible things that God says happens when you are born again. An absolute gift to believe his heart is put inside of us. An absolute gift to believe his spirit is put inside of us. And that those two things enable us to partake in his actual nature. An absolute gift to believe those things are true. And if you have that gift, it's awesome. It compels you, does it not? It convicts you, does it not? It excites you, does it not? So to that gift that we cannot control, we absolutely are to, by way of habit, add virtue. So I'm going to write down. Moral excellent or goodness. And just because I'm, this is just, the timing is so absolutely perfect. What's the, what's the female version of manliness? Femininity. Feminine. Woman. Woman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going with womanliness. <laughs> We may have just we have, we we may have just made up a word, but we know what we mean. Okay, the the first thing that we are to add to faith is virtue. Virtue is moral excellence or goodness, and it is living the most excellent life, living as a man is created to live and as a woman is created to live by only one source. So if, if, if that is to come from only one source and we have no leeway to open that up into interpretation that, can cha that could change culturally, that could change over time periods, that could change over ethnicities, right? Then what would we maybe expect to be the next thing added in this list? That sort of makes sense. What do you think that knowledge might be? What the word says. About what? Being a real man. And the word says about what? Being a real woman. And we learn those things, saints, to do what? Do them. Do them. This is where we go to work. How is this different than behavior modification? Good. Where's this, where's this um, conviction, compulsion, power, clarity? Where's it all coming from? Inside. The source is God. It's by his spirit. 
And the, and the fruit of that, or, or one of the fruits that we can judge, is this will not be a burden. God's commandments, walking in moral excellence, manliness by his definition, and womanliness by his definition, when led by the Spirit of God, is not a burden. It's a joy. Doesn't make it automatic, as we've said. But it is not a miserable obedience. It is not an oppression obedience or a captivity-type obedience. All right, so here's your homework. You're getting homework every week. Okay, virtue is moral excellence. It is living an excellent life. Living an excellent life as men and living an excellent life as women. And guess what? That's not always one and the same. In fact, there are very specific places in Scripture where it's supposed to be very different. So that's your homework. Men, look at what the Word of God has to say about men and manliness and excellence as a man and woman. Women, look, look up what the Bible says about y'all. Off the top of your head, where are you going to look? Good. Proverbs 31 talks about what? A virtuous woman. What about men? Any thoughts? Ephesians 5. Most of Ephesians, but Ephesians 5 for sure. What else? First Timothy and first. In the Peters and in the Timothys, there are instructions for what? Deacons and elders. Those are male positions within the church. And if you are holding that position, it's because you're walking in excellence. And it has very specific things that pertain to manliness. Good. Good areas to start. Wherever else the Spirit wants you, I pray and trust he will lead. And we'll continue our discussion next week. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the divine power and promises that enable us to partake in your very nature. What an absolutely breathtakingly incredible reality you've made available to us, and we want it. We want it, God. We want to walk in it for your namesake. We want to walk in it for your glory. We want to walk in it for your will to come to pass. We want to walk in it to play our part. We want to walk in it to be ministers of the ministry of reconciliation. We want to walk in it to be bearers of eternal fruit. We want to walk in it to participate in the master's business. We want to walk in it to be conformed into the image of Christ. We want to walk in it to embrace our divine destiny. We want to walk in it to learn how to rule and reign. We want to walk in it to know how to be your remnant right now. We want to walk in it to know what assignments await us now. We want to walk in it to have no fear. We want to walk in it to have perfect focus. We want to walk in it to have moments of absolute sinlessness. Hallelujah. We want to walk in it to know your heart more. We want to walk in it to know your desires more. We want to walk in it to know you more. We want to walk in it for clarity. We want to walk in it for conviction. 
We want to walk in it for hope. We want to walk in it for peace. We want to walk in it for spectacular marriages. We want to walk in it for incredible parenting. We want to walk in it for protection and every other good thing. We want to walk in your divine nature. We want to partake in your divine nature. So we pray for continued guidance by your spirit. Teach us how to do these things that are beyond us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Please.